This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Started last week on seasons, right? If you have your service guide, there's a note sheet in there, and we invite you to follow along in your note sheet. You can also use the YouVersion Bible app if you uh, download that for free to your, to your uh, smartphone or tablet. And we're going to continue right along where we left off last week. But quick recap, um, you know, we did start talking about seasons. Our, our key scripture, Ecclesiastes 3.1 from the English Standard Version, says, For everything there's a what? A season and a time for every matter under heaven. We were talking about how we think of seasons and we think of, of spring and summer and fall and winter, right? And there are those seasons that we experience, no matter how wacky they may be here in the Memphis area, we do experience seasons, right? And with that, we, as we recognize that we have these four physical seasons that we go through in our lives, we have to recognize the fact that we all go through literally hundreds of seasons in our lives, right? Many different seasons. Things change. What does season mean? I told you last week, a season is a time characterized by a particular circumstance or feature. That pretty well describes it, doesn't it? We all have different seasons, a particular circumstance or a particular feature that stands out, something that's new, something that's unexpected, that comes across our path. It's a new season in our lives. And I gave you a bunch of um, uh, biblical examples last week, and then we, we talked about, you know, the seasons in our own lives. We think of ourselves, you know, as children, and when we started school, and we had responsibility the first time, when we graduated, when we were, um, for the first time, financially responsible for ourselves, and so on. And then when, and then when we had children, we, it's a new season, right? And we begin walking through all these new seasons, and we also walk through our kids' seasons with them, right? Seasons. We all walk through different seasons. And, you know, it's the one thing, life is always changing, and the one thing we can always count on is change. Uh, you know, the funny thing is, many times, probably more often than not, we don't like change, right? It's uncomfortable. It comes along and stirs things up. But the reality is seasons and change are inevitable. We can't stop it. We can, we can try to stop things from changing, but we'll end up making things, usually we'll end up making them worse, won't we? And so we, we like to try to do that. We like to try to control everything going around us, on around us, don't we? So that we're not taken by surprise, but it's inevitable. Things are going to change and we're not going to like it. Um, and so I gave, you, I gave you three things last week. I, I told you that was the first thing was that seasons bring change. That's what we can always count on. Secondly, seasons bring challenges. Regardless of whether it's a good season or a bad season in life, there are going to be challenges that come along the way. And they're going to take us by surprise. John 16, Jesus promised that we would experience all kind of troubles in life. Christians like to think that because we follow Jesus, we shouldn't have to walk through things and go through things that the world goes through. But the, Jesus promised that we would. 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us, Jesus, or Paul said that temptation is common to all mankind. We're all tempted. If Jesus was tempted, we're going to be tempted, right? We can't pray that there be no challenges along the way. It's not God's job to make sure our life goes smoothly. Amen, anybody? It's not God's job. We tend to think it is. We tend to want to blame him when things don't go right. Funny thing is he promised it. There's going to be challenges along the way. He promised fiery trials will come. But the Bible tells us to take heart. Why? Because there's one thing we can, that doesn't change, and that's our God. 
So because of that, we can stand firm in a world that's constantly changing. We don't have to conform to the world. We don't have to be tossed around by the waves of life. We can trust him and we can take his word to heart. Does it make things easier? Not necessarily, but it makes it infinitely easier than doing it without him, right? He promises he's equipped us to handle it all. He won't let anything come our way that we can't handle. The last thing I gave you was seasons bring fresh starts. We've talked about, we talk about change, we talk about challenges, but with new seasons also comes new opportunities. Also comes second chances, 20th chances, whatever it may be that you need in your life. New seasons bring that. They bring hope and they bring opportunity. New seasons are a good thing as long as we don't try to stop it. Isaiah 43, 19, one of the last scriptures I gave you last week says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it brings forth. Do you not perceive it? God said, you're going through a tough time. Can you not see? Open up your eyes. I'm doing a new thing. He said, I will make a way in the wilderness, and I will make rivers in the desert. We can rely and we can trust on God no matter what season we come upon, no matter what change, no matter what, what comes upon us, we can trust God, right? So I concluded last week, I started, talking about, um, I started talking about our choices in the midst of change in life. And I want to continue a bit more, uh, a little bit further in that, in that vein. If you can picture with me, picture with me the path of life. We all walk the path of life, right? Day in and day out. We're all walking the path of life, regardless of what it looks like. It may be a little different for all of us. We're all at different places along the path, but we're all walking the path of life, right? We essentially walk the same path, and one way or the other, we're still, we're, we are moving forward. But suddenly along the way, you enter a new area along the path, new circumstances, new conditions. It might be a bright and shiny day, and that's awesome. We rejoice in that. However... It might not be bright and shiny. It might look more like, might resemble Mordor from Lord of the Rings, if you're familiar with that. A dark and dangerous area where you don't, can't possibly expect and know what's coming next. And, you know, I was thinking that change, it always brings us to a place where everything. Choices, I started talking about that last week. Our choices mean everything. Seasons, new seasons and change will always bring us to a place of decision, a place where we have to make choices. And that determines where we go from there, right? So I'm actually, uh, if y'all want to open up your Bibles, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 13. And, um, you know, it's funny, I talked about this a little bit earlier this year. We talked about Abram a little bit and, uh, and, and the story there as, when we first hear of Abram. Um, we know that if you go back a couple of chapters before chapter 13, you know that um, Abram's father was Terah. And Abram was born in the land of Ur of the Chaldeans, or the city of Ur of the Chaldeans, which is modern-day Iraq. Uh, we know that somewhere along the way that, that uh, Terah felt compelled to move to Canaan, which is modern-day Israel. And um, we don't, the Bible doesn't say directly that God told him to, however, we see that once they get there and get established, actually they don't get there, they get hung up in the, land, in the city of Haran, which is, which is about halfway. They stop there and they live there for many years and, and, and Terah dies. And we see that God comes to Abram and tells him to continue on to Canaan, right? So as you go into chapter 12, God's calling Abram to uproot his family and to continue on the journey that his father had started to, uh, to Canaan. So 
we know that Abram and, uh, and his nephew Lot uh, and their families, they pull up their roots and they take off from Haran and they head to Canaan. We know that they end up settling in the, um, near the city of, uh, of Bethel. And there was many of them. We talk about Abram and Lot's families, but, but, um, but there were probably literally hundreds of them. It, you know, families were all together then, right? And, and so there were like hundreds of them traveling, and they, like I said, they settled near Bethel. And then we see in chapter 12 that, uh, that shortly thereafter, famine hits the land. And so Abram and Lot make the decision. Uh, they've got to find food, and so they don't go far, but they cross the border into Egypt, and uh, where there was food and where they could, um, where they could live. And so um, they're, they're in Egypt for a little while. And then that brings us to Genesis chapter 13. And so we'll, um, I'm actually, this is going to be our reading for the day. So I'm actually going to read the first 18 verses. So starting in, in verse 1, it says, So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that they had, and lot with them into Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold, and he journeyed on from Negeb as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. So basically, he went back to the place. Um, so let's see, where am I at? Verse five, 4. They went to between Bethel and Ai um, to the place where they made the altar, and, where Abram, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Verse 5, and Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they couldn't dwell together. And, and, uh, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At the time, the Canaanites and Perizzites were, living, were dwelling in the land. So, through verse 7, we see that they've come back, but... You know, it says they were wealthy, and actually wealth was measured then. Much of it was measured by your cattle. And they had a lot. And there were other people living in this land, and so they picked a spot where they had what they felt was plenty of area to live. However, it was too much, and the land couldn't support them all together. So um, you get there to verse 8, we see Abram step up. He says, And Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. He said, We're family right? Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, I'll go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This is before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Y'all following so far? The land couldn't support them. Abram gave Lot first choice. Lot chose what looked like the best land. He moved. Actually, Sodom was on, um, they believe, it was on the east side of the, um, of the Dead Sea on a little peninsula, they believe, on the uh, southeast side of the Dead Sea. And so that's where, that's where he settled. And, you know, Sodom, it says here in verse 13 that the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Um, Y'all know that Sodom was destroyed by fire and brimstone, right? And, you know, I, I chased a rabbit trail for just a second, but 
I don't know if any of you saw this. It didn't make national news, which doesn't surprise me. But you, you may have read December 4th, almost exactly one month ago, Forbes magazine re- uh, released a, uh, an article in their, in their science part. Um, and listen to this. It says, new research finds that a powerful airburst from a meteor colliding with the atmosphere may have wiped out a Bronze Age civilization along the north side of the Dead Sea some 3,700 years ago. It's widely believed, now this is Forbes saying this, it's widely believed this is the same place once known as Sodom. And they put in quotes, yes, as in the same Sodom and Gomorrah from the Bible, Torah, and Koran, the cities cities of sin that were supposedly destroyed with brimstone and fire sent from God. Anyway, why do they believe that a meteorite hit the area? This is what they said. Samples from that site show an extremely hot explosive event leveled an area of almost 200 square miles, not only wiping out 100% of the Middle Bronze Age cities and towns, but also stripping agricultural soils from once fertile fields. Get this last line. The researchers theorized that intense shockwaves from the blast may have also covered the region with superheated brine salts. Science will always support the Bible. Anyway, this is where Lot chose to settle, at the land of Sodom. And um, let's go back, uh, verse 14. Uh, So they've just separated, Lot's gone to Sodom. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your off, I'll make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built another altar to the Lord. I want to talk about this for a minute. You may be saying, what in the world does this have to do with seasons and change? Well, we, we see a lot of seasons and change in, in this short period of time in Abram and Lot's families. But uh, I'm going to give you three things. Like I said, you can follow along um, on your note sheet. If you see that whole passage, I had it on your note sheet. I had to make it extra small because it was so long. But on the right side, on the back, I'm sorry, um, you, can, you can follow along and you fill in the blanks. But I'm going to give you three things that, that we can learn from, um, from this story, from Abram and, uh, and Lot. Number one, our attitude can be critical to the journey. Our attitude can be critical to the journey. How many of you know that our attitude is very important? I was looking at this, and I was thinking, and interestingly enough, those of you who are reading, the, reading through the uh, Chronological Life Application Bible, Sean and I, this was our reading yesterday, interestingly enough, uh, and so you're, this is fresh on your minds, but we see here that there was strife between Abram's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen, right? Because their possessions were so great that the land... Now, you would think... My first thought is, especially the way families were in hierarchies, you know, during that day, the way things were structured, I would have thought Lot would have been the first one to step up and to kind of yield to his uncle and say, obviously, we got to do something. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a new place to move away so that, you know, you can prosper, you know, with the rest of the family. But we see that that's not what happened. We don't know exactly what Lot's attitude was, but we see here that Abram, as his uncle, was the one who stepped up. And he was the first one to move to try to resolve things. Um, he told Lot, obviously, we need to separate and we need to spread out. 
And, but it wasn't just that. Abram gave Lot, he like yielded to him and gave him first choice, first pick. How many of you know he didn't have to do that? He gave him first pick. As a matter of fact, he said, if you want to take the land that way, I'll take the land that way. He's basically letting Lot determine where he was going to go and his family. Abram yielded. He said, you decide where to go and I'll go elsewhere. Attitude means a whole lot in the midst of seasons and change. Attitudes can absolutely make you or break you, right? Attitudes, they can heal you or hurt you. Attitudes can make you friends and they can make you enemies. Attitudes can make you happy, they can make you miserable. Attitudes can make you a success and they can make you a failure. Our attitude reveals what's really inside of us. We don't have an attitude because we had a bad day. We have an attitude because that's what's inside of us. Does that make sense? We like to blame the bad day. We like to blame what somebody did to us. But the reality is that bad attitude is a reflection of what's inside of our heart. The other thing I thought about in this, your attitude will always become your actions and your reactions. When things happen, your attitude will determine how you respond and react in the midst of it all. When does our bad attitude usually come to the surface? It's when things change, right? Something's unexpected. Things don't go the way we want. They don't go the way we expected. Things, don't, things go in a direction that don't make us comfortable. And all of a sudden, our bad attitude comes to the surface. Things change, and we respond poorly. Bad attitudes destroy marriages and relationships. Bad attitudes can ultimately derail your life. And we like to lie to ourselves, but the reality is our attitude is always our choice. Sometimes we've got to work on it, but we make the decision whether we're going to work on it or not. Our attitude is our choice. As you guys know, we can't always decide what's going to happen to us today. Many times it's beyond our control, isn't it? We come upon unexpected things every day. But we can choose our attitude. We have been given the power to decide how how we will respond and, you know, what our attitude will be in the midst of it all. We have to change our way of thinking. Give you a couple um, scriptures real quick. Philippians 2, 14 and 15 says, do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless, innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Guys, most of us have a hard time with this. I know I do sometimes. Can anybody else agree that you have a hard time sometimes not grumbling and questioning? Why in the world? Why did they treat me like that? Why am I having to do that? Why is this my responsibility? Why, why, why? But it says here, we're to do it because it's part of what makes us blameless and innocent children of God without blemish, where we shine as a light in a dark and perverse world. Matthew 6.33, y'all know this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Well, somebody may say, are you saying to think positive? (laughs) I'm not reading from a self-help book, but you know what? It is biblical. To think positive. 
If you look, Philippians 4, 8, and again from the English Standard, says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. He's saying, stop thinking about all these things through the filter of your attitude. Stop grumbling and complaining. Think on the positive things, the things that are praiseworthy, right? As things change around us, we're forced to make decisions. And we've got to choose to have the attitude of praise. There's a lot of things to blame in life for where we ended up and what happened. But the reality is our decisions and our attitude probably had 90% to do with where we are today. So one, our attitudes can be critical to the journey. Number two, we have to make, when we make choices based in desire rather than seeking God, things will go wrong. When we make choices based in desire... Rather than seeking God, things will go wrong. So when the time came for Lot to make the decision where he was going to live, do we see any indication of him seeking God on where to go and what to do? What do we see that he does? His uncle tells him that, and he looks around and says, ooh, that looks like the best. I'm going there, right? Said, said it was the most beautiful, that it was like the garden of the Lord. He looked at it, and he chose with his eyes. He chose with his flesh where he was going to go. It looked good. Yep, right next to the city of Sodom. Woo! Got a great view of the Dead Sea. Well, it probably wasn't dead at that time. Verse 10, it says, Lot lifted up his eyes. He saw the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the Garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. So Lot chose for himself all of the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. And like I say, he ended up, says, says he settled just outside of the city of Sodom. And they knew at that time, verse 13, the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And that's where he chose to go. What happens next? Lot makes a decision based in desire. What happens next? If you look just next few scriptures, what happened? War breaks out in that area. Uh, basically, what uh, Sodom, Gomorrah, some of the surrounding cities, they were pr playing, pr paying tribute to another king, and they decided to rebel, and they quit paying tribute. All of a sudden, that king comes to get what he wants, and uh, he, he takes Sodom and Gomorrah and uh, takes everybody captive, including Lot and his family and all his great possessions within five years. Um, we know... Oh, and we know that actually following that, we know that Abram gets up with about 300 men and uh, goes back up against that king and takes them back, gets back everything that was stolen. So Abram has to get up and move and, and rescue Lot. But um, we know that later, obviously, like we were talking about, Sodom was destroyed because of the wickedness of the people. And um, Lot was saved as well. He was saved again, wasn't he? You know, it's funny that it seems, though, that he was only saved because of Abram. If you look at it, it says, Genesis 19.29 says, So it was, when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out from the midst. God's about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and looks down and goes, he sees Lot and goes, oh yeah, Abraham. All right. <laughs> and he saves Lot, right? Looks to me like Lot didn't make very good choices here. We know that... We know that his wife ended up a pillar of salt. And we know that he ended up with a couple of kids by his daughters. Eh, not the best outcome, right? 
Abram, well, Abram wasn't close to perfect, but Lot made some bad choices. We don't see much of an indication that he was following the Lord. When we make choices based in desire rather than seeking God, things will go wrong. And I was thinking about this. I actually thought about this yesterday, and I, um, I think... Actually, I think I wrote this. Those of you who are, like I say, reading the Bible through with us this year, I, I, I put it in the notes that I wrote. Um, it kind of came to me yesterday. I don't believe for one second that Abram had any idea what the impact of his obedience to God would be. God made promises. He cut covenant with Abram, Abraham. I don't think there's any way he could have had any idea. He, I mean, he didn't really see the results of it in his life, lifetime out, outside of Isaac outside of having a son. But Abram simply being obedient, the outcome of his decisions changed the world. And ultimately it paved, paved the way for the coming Messiah. Just because he seeked, he seeked after God and he was obedient to God. When we make choices based in desire, things are going to go wrong. We live in a culture today that says, but I want it. We've got to stop. What does God say? So many times. Have we even asked him? Have we even prayed once? Have we gotten into his word? Have we pursued godly counsel? When we follow, I I thought about this, when we follow our desires to make decisions of our lives, I believe that we find ourselves camped out near Sodom. We find ourselves camped out near Sodom. Lot might have even called himself a follower of God because of Abram and his fathers. But he had no problem living in the midst of great wickedness. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 15 through 17. It says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Does that sound like today? Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is a warning. Look carefully at how you walk. Be wise. Days are evil. Don't be foolish. We, I read this last week. Y'all know this. Romans 12, 2. Don't be conformed to the world. Another warning. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let me read that to you from the Message Bible. In the Message Bible, it says, Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. We've got to seek God. We've got to stop doing things based in Desire or even emotion. How many of you know our emotions are fleeting? We can feel one way one second and completely change the next. We've got to stop doing things based in desires and based in how we feel. But people love to say that they, well, I feel. Who cares? Who cares? We don't see anything in the Bible that's based on feelings. When we do things based on feelings, we're going to end up in trouble. We enter a new season. When things change, when we're thrown a curveball, we need to seek God before simply responding. 
when something comes our way that we don't like, instead of just automatically responding the way we normally do, we've got to slow down and we've got to seek God's will. Failure to do so, failure to do that is why we respond in anger. It's why we say things we regret. It's why we ruin relationships. It's why we end up broke and defeated and in bondage. Because we respond out of desire and out of emotion and out of attitude rather than seeking God. And all along the way, all we had to do was stop and pursue God and renew our mind. And like I said, you know, right now, I told you all last week we were starting that Facebook group reading that Bible. We've got 47 people as of today that have committed to reading the, the Bible systematically with us this year. But I would encourage you guys, renew your mind. Only the Bible, only God's Word can change the way your mind responds and reacts to the stimuli around it in the world. In the world. We have got to get in to God's Word. As we do so, our actions and reactions will begin to change. So, number one, our attitudes can be critical to the journey. Number two, when we make choices based on desire rather than seeking God, things will go wrong. And number three, sometimes there has to be a separation to hear from the Lord. Sometimes there has to be a separation to hear from the Lord. Like I said, it's important that we seek God and hear from Him. And it's vital when we're going through seasons of change. But have you know... But to hear from the Lord, sometimes there has to be a separation. Where did I get this? Well, I was looking back at back Genesis chapter 13 again in this story. In verse 4, we see that they've just arrived back from Egypt. And they're back at Bethel, between Bethel and Ai. They've settled back down there, Abraham, Lot, and their families. And in verse 4, it says, first thing it says when they get back, it says, And there, the Lord, there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. You know, we don't settle over near Sodom. They, and you have to go down to verse 14. It says, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place you are. The land that you see I will give you. I, it was the first time I'd really just noticed that. Once Lot was gone, Abram was hearing from the Lord. Now, I'm not trying to read into this. It does not say that it was Lot's, that Lot was a problem in this. But I think it's very interesting that we see in verse 4, Abram calling, crying out to the Lord, and then we hear from the Lord in verse 14, speaking for the first time, and it has it right there in the Scripture. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot separated from him. How many of you know that many times... We can't hear from the Lord because there's some things in the way that we need to separate from. For instance, I was thinking about Lot. I believe he could have cried out and heard from the Lord as well. But instead, he chose to move to Sodom. How of you know it's hard to live as God's chosen people and to hear his voice when you're living in Sodom? There may be, like you heard last week, I think Sean had said, there may be a reoccurring sin in your life that you need to be free of. You know that you need to separate yourself from that. And you wonder why you just can't get direction and you're not hearing from the Lord. Sometimes there has to be a separation. 
2 Corinthians 7.1, and I'm going to read this to you from the next couple of scriptures. I'm reading to you from the new, uh, the Passion Translation. I just love the way this was worded. It says, Beloved ones, with promises like these, and because of our deepest respect and worship to God, we must remove everything from our lives that contaminates body and spirit and continue to complete the development of holiness within us. Sometimes there has to be a separation. You might have to walk away from a toxic relationship. Somebody who's constantly speaking against God's word and his promises in your life. You ever been there? You ever had a relationship with somebody that you came to realize that it was just toxic? There had to be a separation for you to move forward. 1 Corinthians 15, and 34 says, Stop fooling yourself. Evil companions will corrupt good morals and character. Come back to your right senses and awaken to what is right. Repent from your sinful ways, for some have no knowledge of God's wonderful love. <laughs> the way he ends that. You should be ashamed that you make me write this way to you. Sometimes there has to be a separation. Sometimes it might be that we have to put some distractions aside. How many of you have been distracted in your walk with the Lord before? I think we all have some distractions in our lives. And there needs to be a separation. That's why, and actually I'll go ahead and mention this because obviously next week is, next Sunday is going to be very different. We're probably not going to get to really talk about prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting, what is it? It's a separation. You're separating yourself from things that your flesh desires so that you can hear from the Lord. And I encourage you guys, we're going to, starting um, a week from tomorrow, next Monday of next week, we're going to start, we'll have two weeks of, of prayer and fasting. And I encourage you guys to jump in and be involved in that. Fasting is voluntary separation from one's usual activities of life to honor God and to hear his voice. What do you need to separate from? We've just come into a new season. By the way, Happy New Year's. Thanks, everybody who came out uh, on, on New Year's Eve. We had a, had a good crowd here, had a lot of fun and uh, ushering it in. But what is it, as you go into the next season of life, what is it that you need to separate yourself from so that you can actually hear the voice of the Lord and make the right decisions? Obviously, there's things that we do every day. Television, I'll tell you what, I love Netflix. You don't have to watch commercials, and you don't have to wait for the next show to come out the next week. But it makes it sure easy to binge watch a whole season, Right? Especially if it's a show you've never seen and there's about 10 seasons, then you're in trouble. Especially if it's a good show. And then you just took up a week of your life, right? What is it that's consuming you that you need to bring separation? Maybe it's a young person or an older person. Maybe it's video games going out. For many of us, maybe it's social media. You can, it's, I love it on the iPhone now that it gives you that screen time thing and you can see how much time you actually used and on your phone that week and it can be pretty embarrassing. <laughs> You're like, how many hours? <laughs> Crazy. Maybe some of us just need to put our cell phones away. If it's consuming you, maybe you need to go get a good old-fashioned flip phone. Maybe some of you, maybe some of you, it's the music you listen to. What do you need to separate from? What's dragging you down? What's keeping you from hearing the voice of the Lord? Our attitude is critical to the journey. We've got to watch our attitude. 
We've got to make sure we're not making choices based in desire and emotion, but we've got to choose to seek God. And we've got to recognize those things that we have to separate from. And you know, with separation, sometimes we need to temporarily separate from things. But have you know, sometimes we need to permanently separate from things as well. The key is to make sure that there's nothing louder or more important in your life than your walk with God. There's a lot of voices out there. There's a lot of noise, isn't there? Man, my life can be noisy. Wow. So much going on. So many voices. We've got to do what it takes to make sure that God is the loudest thing in our life. If we position ourselves to be able to hear, listen, and obey, we can be assured that we can make it through any season of life. And we won't just make it. I, I love asking people, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm making it. I want to hear you say sometime that you're doing more than making it. We're called to live a victorious life. You can make it through the seasons of life victoriously. We can be stronger coming out of a season than we were going into it. We can gain wisdom and we can gain experience. Things meant for evil can work together for our good. We don't have to be trampled down, stomped on, and broken. We can be ahead and ready for what's next. Who needs a fresh start? Remember I read from that scripture last week in the Message Bible when it talked about a fresh wind in your sails. Who needs a fresh wind in their sails? I know I do sometimes. A new season's coming. We don't have to be fearful. We don't give up. We embrace the new season in confidence in the Lord. And we trust them that the best days are still ahead. Who's weary and tired? Who needs a redo? Who needs another chance? A new season is coming. Your response to it will mean everything. How will you respond? Let's all stand up. Let me get the worship team to come on back up as we close. As they come up and, and start, uh, start playing, let's, let's, just, let's just close our eyes across this place. Let's all just bow our heads and close our eyes, and let's just meditate on the Lord for just a moment. You may be very well in a season of life that is kicking your tail. We've all been through it. We've all been there. We've all had to deal with it. And the first thing that we've got to do is we've got to examine our relationship with the Lord. Sean and I, they want advice. They want counsel. I don't know. Their marriage is falling apart. They can't pay the bills. They've got, you know, relationship issues in their family or, or issues with work and whatever else. And it's funny, you ask people going through these things, well, what's your relationship with the Lord like? Are you getting into the Word? 75% of the time the answer is, well, no. Are you praying at all? Are you seeking God at all with your life? 75% of the answer is, no. No, not, not, not like I should. No, I'm not. I'm not saying that things will go perfect for you if, you if you are seeking God. I'm just saying the first step, the first key to walking through these seasons in your life that are difficult is to examine your relationship with Him and to dig in deep. To go after Him with all that you are. Obviously, if you don't have a relationship with Him, if you've never real, truly surrendered your life to Christ, then that's your first step. Again, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you, you know 
you know where you're at with the Lord, if you recognize that your life is not surrendered to God, then this is your moment. As I say every week, we're going to pray a prayer together, but I don't want you to focus on the prayer. It's not about the prayer. Nowhere in the Bible did anybody ever pray a prayer to receive Jesus. I think it's a good thing because it brings us to a place of decision. It brings us to a moment where, that we can look back on and remember. But it's really the position of your heart. And let me ask you right now, is your heart surrendered to Jesus? When he says go, are you ready to get up and go? Are you ready to listen and obey his voice? If not, I would encourage you today to surrender your heart to him. Let him come in and make you that new creation. He makes all things new. Does it mean he's going to take away all my problems? No. But now you can rely on his strength. Now you can let him carry the burdens. You don't have to be weighed down and crushed by the stuff you're walking through. You don't have to be tossed around by the waves of life. You can trust God at what he says. We're going to all pray together. I don't, it doesn't matter to me if, you have, if you've never prayed the prayer before or if you've prayed it 20 times in your life. If that's you and you recognize that your heart's not surrendered to Jesus, I want you to pray this with us. Let's all pray together. Right, dear God, I thank you for sending Jesus. By myself, I am so lost. I don't have a chance. I'm knocked down by the waves of life. But I thank you for Jesus, that he came as a man, that he was tempted with every sin, but he walked out this life faithful to you. Not only that, he laid down his life. He died on that cross. He did it for me. He took my punishment. He took my sin. He took my shame. And he took it to the grave. I'm so thankful. So today, I surrender my life to you, Jesus. All that I am, I lay it at your feet. Even my desires, I lay it before you. And I say today that I am yours. I repent for living my life my way. And I choose to follow you. Holy Spirit, fill me. Empower me to be everything, to do everything that you've called me to do. I'll follow you all the days of my life from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. You are Lord.